You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Retail Perch. And, uh, you know, it's been a fun 2023 so far. We've had some amazing guests and... uh, Gary and I have yet not had to do a solo show, and I think we have a lot of guests lined up. Uh, I've had to do a solo show because Gary wasn't on. That was that was fun. So, Gary, what are you what are you feeling about the remaining of 2023? Looks like ChatGPT started off with a storm, and looks like there's a lot more things coming. That's right. I think that was just the first wave of that storm, right? Uh, matter of fact, I was just writing something about that uh, for another article. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing uh, the retail industry certainly picking up on that looking to incorporate chat GPT itself, but also I think we're going to see a tsunami of other similar uh, capabilities being applied. Yeah, can't, can't wait. Anyway, for those listeners out there, in case you guys want us to pick up specific topics and focus in on certain types of guests, do write to us, the retail purchase at But we want to get on with today's show, and we have a guest from my neighborhood, it seems like, a few miles away. Uh, so Chandan Mahajan is from Dot Connect. He's a co-founder of Dot Connect and has had a long history in corporate uh, dealing with retail. So Chandan, welcome to the Retail Perch. Thank you, Shekhar. Nice to meet you both, Gary uh, and Shekhar. Pleased to be here. Well, yes. Chandan, what we'd like to do is just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, where you come from, how did you wind up with Dot Connect, and then uh, we'll go from there. Sure. No, sure. So I come from a, you know, from a background person side, uh, I come from a family of retailers. I grew up in a family of retailers in India. So a lot that I learned about the trade was from my father, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, it was a very small scale business, but, uh, you know, learned a lot of basics around, you know, how do you manage customers? Actually, he was the one who gave me my first lesson on personalization and, uh, you know, in terms of how, how do you treat, uh, you know, how do you build those one-on-one relationships? So uh, with that foundation, um, you know, I, uh, you know, graduated in commerce. I'm not an engineering guy. I'm more of a business and marketing and an international business guy. Uh, came to US 17 years ago, started my career on the IT corporate side in business development, client management roles, work with large IT and consulting companies. And it was right around the earlier part of the pandemic, actually before pandemic became real thing. Uh, I was at my 20 year mark in the corporate uh, career and really started to think about a lot of those existential questions, right? What, what am I doing? You know, where, where is this all headed? And is it just a, a mad race to get the next big title and the next big paycheck or something more, right? And I think uh, happened to meet another very good friend of mine for 15 years, Dheeraj, who now is a co-founder. Interesting thing is we both have very similar backgrounds, both from family and our corporate life. And we both were going through a very similar thinking process, right? So as I say, right, dot connects at uh, very, you know, interesting times. We both got together and uh, the more we thought through, so the big question for us was that, hey, we've learned a lot from our families, from our own you know, um, family background. There's so much of learning we have gotten from working with these large retail CPG companies across the globe. And of course, a lot of the industry experts that we've had the great fortune to work with and learn from, is there a better way to combine all of this and build something much more meaningful and also in a way uh, be able to give back to the community? So that's when the whole idea of Dotkinet was born. And uh, we've been, we started as a bootstrap company right in the heart of the pandemic uh, and how now have built a team of 30 members. And as a company, uh, we are very focused on 
how we can help consumer brands grow organically with the power of what we call an experiential commerce platform. So that's that's kind of what is, you know, that's the, the problem statement and the passion that's driving us every day. Yeah, I found that fascinating. So when you mean uh, experiential commerce, can you give us a sense of, you know, it's, it's sure. a word that gets thrown around a lot and a lot of people yes. don't know what that means. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think at a, at a very fundamental level, uh, see what we believe is, uh, technologies come and go. We all, every six months, come across a lot of big buzzwords. Um, you know, see, at a, at a very uh, basic level, we feel when it comes to retail and commerce trade, experiences have always been at the heart of uh, everything that you want to do with the customers, right? Now, whether it's delivered through, uh, you know, uh, a concierge in the store or it's driven through uh, some great AI tools or capabilities you build, or it's through technology or the commerce experiences, but at the heart, Customers are looking for some very basic things. They're not looking for the next best tool. They're looking at how can you make my journey much more engaging, more enriching in terms of inspiration, knowledge, and convenience. And of course, we all look for better cost and better you know, quality of products as well. That's the table stakes, right? What we started to look at, uh, Shekhar and Gary, was, you know, I've been in the digital commerce space for a long time, and we did a lot of uh, you know, tech implementations, support, both you know, custom bespoke applications and a lot of the packaged food implementation. We started to see a trend where there were sort of two, uh, you know, I would say islands, uh, you know, forming for when it comes to digital commerce, right? Um, and for the lack of better words, I call it an island because there's one which is built for SMB segment, right? So you the likes of Shopify, WooCommerce uh, that were built on the foundation of how to empower small and upcoming entrepreneurs with uh, out of the package digital capabilities that will get them started very quickly at a low cost and give them all the tools they need to be able to launch their business check the product market fit and be able to make, make some money. Uh, on the other hand, we've all kind of seen over the last 20 years, very large enterprise grade platforms, right? So starting with ADG and Websphere, some of these don't even exist anymore. And now to the, you know, the, you know Salesforce, Adobe's and the composable stacks. What we started to see was, uh, you know, this one island, the SMB, which is built for, you know, entrepreneurs, the enterprise stack is built for large retail and very large complex global organizations, right? And then we started to ask ourselves that, hey, you know, the CPG companies, the brands, when they have to grow and then when they have ambitions to start their own or expand their direct-to-consumer journey, what's built for them? And the more we looked, there was actually, we didn't find anything, right? So we saw many of them either force-fitting themselves into something which is built for retail segment or building their own stacks, right? So this, just, just that option. And then furthermore, so, as we investigated- For a second. So, so you're so, saying that there is a hole between the SMBs and the large enterprises. Yes. Your your focus is more around allowing CPGs to go D2C through an e-commerce. Exactly. exactly. Right. So, so the, in, in your ahead. description here, if you can, pick a brand and, and give us an example of, of what you do, how sure. you do it. Sure. I, I'll, I won't be able to talk about one of our customers, but I'll give you another example of a brand. So for example, if you see uh, one brand that we very closely follow in this segment, which I think is also a good example, is Goop.com, right? Goop, which was started by Gwyneth Paltrow. And if you saw, if you can see the genesis of Goop and how it started, it actually started as a community platform, right? It was Gwyneth's own community and followers who really are, were very keen to understand her, you know, beauty regime and everything, right? And she's used the star power to build that great community. And over the years, once they built a very solid engagement with the community, they started to embed commerce into it, right? So now it's a full-fledged, uh, you know, commerce community platform and it, it has, you know, products and everything, right? 
So we started to look at the construct of goop that, you know, you know, unless you're a celebrity or unless you have a very deep community, it's very hard for a lot of the brands to replicate that experience or that engagement. So what they do to shortcut that is they're part of the influencers. They, you know, leverage, uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram, those communities through paid ads to acquire a lot of the traffic. And which we all know, I've heard many of your podcasts that, you know, we all know how tough it has become, both in terms of cost to actually afford for smaller and mid-sized brands. And also, you know, given all the things that are happening in the privacy aspect of the world, uh, how it's going to be almost impossible to track people on third-party cookies going forward, right? So we started to ask ourselves that how will brands, because if you look at most of the brands, they have always used this old playbook of growing the D2C channel, which is you start your store on a Shopify or something similar store, like a, a very quick technology store, and then do a lot of paid ads to grow, right? Acquire traffic and then keep doing promotions to rinse and repeat. It's not really happening because, you know, the ROAS and the CAC, you know, that equation is not matching anymore. Uh, so, you know, then if you fast forward to what Goop has done, they what they did was they followed the playbook that we feel is right for uh, brands, which is you attract with content, you engage with community, and then you grow commerce as a byproduct, right? Let commerce become more of a natural extension of the deep engagement you have built with the customer. Now, it's almost like, you know, comparing steroids with Ayurveda, because steroids give you quick results. You can you can see and feel the change happening, but it short uh, you know it uh, lasts very short, and you are hooked to it, right? We feel performance marketing paid as is like steroids. I know there's like you know if I have to build rich content, build deep community, it's going to take time. You will not see a result for a week or quarters, right? Your investors will be on your head, but you know it's right for your body and right for your immune system. And we have seen those behaviors where people are now starting to talk about it, but the you know the part is they have not invested in that capability over the years, right? So that's that's what we talk about. So our point was that look, we may not be able to solve all the problems, but can I create a tech foundation that will help make it easy for you as you adopt modern oh, commerce technologies? It's a great point you bring up across here, Chandan. So it's kind of it seems like you know we're in the age of the power of the origin story, right? And a lot of these brands, whether they're celebrity brands launched by Gwyneth Paltrow or others, they seem to have some story behind which uh, you know exactly. a lot. I guess a lot of CPGs are trying to build around to create the engagement, you know, to, because to build a community, yes, you can buy it, but like you realize it's a sugar high. You can only retain them if there's some depth to the content and some depth to right. the story and maybe a mission also, right? And a lot of these seem to be very mission oriented. Yeah, um, so how, how do you, how do you replicate that when, with an existing CPG company? Isn't that, isn't that a challenge? Uh, no, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because see, one, uh, we we realize that as a partner, we can't solve all the problems for them, right? Uh, it'll be great if we could, but like, like so for example, I won't be able to create a community and a purpose for a brand. Uh, a lot of things have to come out organically. So, but you bring up a good point, Shaker, because see how we are looking at solving this is there are a couple of ways. One, if you if you happen to be a mid-market brand, and how we define mid-market is, let's say you've gone beyond the five ten million ARR, and you're in that between anywhere between five to ten to a five hundred million ARR, where you have outgrown a DIY tech platform, but you're not quite ready to you know, build up a huge army of developers in-house to build your own. And you don't want to lock in millions of dollars with a large enterprise software that you know that you're going to be a very small fish in their pond, right? So uh, our point was that, okay, if you're in the transition period, but you still have to compete with those big players. So, you know, because consumers end of the day, whether they go to Amazon, they expect that Amazon experience from every brand in terms of the convenience and checkout and all those great things, right? One click and everything. So our point was, could we create a set of capabilities 
that will help make a brand's existing experience more engaging and more richer. And one example I'll give you is a very common problem that we've seen in this industry is a lot of the brands actually are creating some good content. Now that content is very static. It's living in uh, their blogs, their videos, maybe on social platforms and all that. So beyond maybe reeling it on some of these social platforms and just putting it on a you know education or a blog session on the website, the brands are not able to leverage that content to actually create a better engagement. And this is another contrast if you see Google.com where every blog of theirs has embedded content. Now it's very hard for brands to do it because they are stuck with a commerce platform and a content platform. Two different entities, bringing them together, together requires significant integration capabilities which many of them cannot afford because it's not one time, you have to keep doing it, right? So we uh, then thought about, could we create a capability which will help brands to first, you know, make their content more engaging and monetizable. For example, one of the key features in our platform is shoppable content, where, you know, we can address a right here, right now problem that, okay, before you will look at how do I now build a, a purpose-led and a community-run company, uh, first, can I, you know, uh, make my current experience better? and make it monetable so, so that I can continue to then invest in greater content and more community building. Right? So these are ways we are trying to look at how I can divide this into small manageable steps rather than trying to solve the world hunger problem from day one mm. and, and help a brand get on the journey where they know that, okay, you know what, I have to continue my product innovation and my community engagement. Got it, got it. But so, so you're building a tech stack that brands can leverage. That's what yes. I'm understanding. Right. Yes, and, and targeted at brands in that size range. In the mid-market, right? So coming back to your question, Shekhar, you asked, right, truly, end of the day, what is experiential commerce platform? We, we believe experiential commerce platform should enable brands to bring the power of three Cs, right? That's content, community, and commerce. Because right now, it's very siloed. Uh, brands have to deal with all of that individual, you know, on and on. And many of the brands are not in a position to have those multi-vendor, you know, uh, relationships where they have to you know, somehow gather five people and then bring an SI to stitch everything together and then hope uh, and pray that it will deliver the right results over those years and millions of dollars, right? So, you know, we believe if we, if this is done right, it will create that experiential engagement. And that's why the term experiential commerce, because end of the day, we feel commerce has to start with an experience. It cannot be a typical promotions and just, uh, you know, throw a bunch of AI into it and hope that you, you will uh, create personalization onto it. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So I know traditionally we've seen, at least in the supermarket industry, especially that there's always this weird hustle, you know, um, as to who owns the customer, right? Is it is it the retailer's customer or is yes. it the brand's customer, right? Correct. And I guess that that kind of plays in here too, because Absolutely. you know the the guessing a large, a huge percentage of the brand sales are actually coming from the retail partners. And Absolutely. very little is coming actually from B2C. In fact, there have been many conversations that I've had. I mean, is there even a point for a brand to have a, a B2C? Um, well, it depends on where the brand originated from, right? I mean, if you, if you are a no-name person, you're trying to make a discovery, yes, you're going to do through to the C, three Cs, you know, uh, build a community content and then go to commerce. Ultimately, the goal being wind up in stores. Right. Uh, and then it looks like the stores are doing the reverse, which is they're trying to come back into. Uh, so how, how do you, from a tech stack perspective, how, what is your advice to brand based on where they are on the journey? So first you bring up an excellent point, Shekhar, you know, and this has been a big part of our own discovery process, right? Because see what we did was as, as a team and, you know, this is where 
when you start becoming wise with all of your corporate experience that comes in Redware, we didn't want to rush ourselves into just creating a platform just for the sake of it and then hope that, okay, you know, I have a solution now, I'm looking for a problem to it, right? Because, you know, as I say, right, when you have a, have a hammer in hand, everything looks like a nail, right? You start to solve everyone's problem. So our thinking was, is, it a, is this a big enough problem to be solved before we say that, you know what, we're going to invest our life savings and our energy and, you know, our future into it, right? So, see, one data point that we realized was pre-pandemic, this actually was not a big enough problem, exactly to your point, right? So what was happening is at a, at a general level, right? I'm, I'm not getting into categories and everything, right. but for most of the brands, D2C always pre-pandemic was between two to four percent of their business or two to five percent of their business, right? So it was a small change. Um, you know, obviously they had much bigger, deeper investments with marketplaces and retail. And when you have the 90, 95% of your business coming from one channel, you focus there, you focus on there, you don't focus too much on two percent. And that's exactly why a lot of this DIY technology and paid ads became like a quick a turn on button. Say, you know what? Let me just do this on the side. Let's see how I can run with it. And because the cost of acquisition was low, it made sense for them, right? That, you know, my storefront cost is low. I'm just paying a couple of hundred dollars on the tech platform. I'm paying whatever I'm paying to Facebook. I'm getting three to four X of that back in ROAS. So it, it made sense. Now the whole equation has actually changed after pandemic, right? Because of these uh, costs becoming very high and brands have realized that, look, if I have to grow sustainably, because many of these brands also were VC funded earlier. So there was this whole thing that, okay, grow at all costs. Nobody cared as much about unit economics. And now, you know, we see the VC narrative has completely shifted, you know, uh, right. now post pandemic, right? So now the same brands who were earlier, you know, going crazy on marketing, branding, and acquiring, and we saw the whole, you know, flurry of house of brands and aggregators coming on board, right? I mean, nobody talks about them anymore because that whole business is completely, uh, you know, upside down now. So now, uh, you know, the brands that we talk to, they are looking at, in my entire omnichannel equation, how can what can I do to make D2C at least 20% of my revenue, if not more? And to go from that two or three percent to 20%, you need to do a lot of things. Of course, one is you may end up pissing off your retail partners as well, right? Because they're expecting you to you know grow business with them with retail media networks, they're creating more reasons for them to partner with them now, right? With the brands. And I think that's a big change we're seeing. And that's why we saw, especially the mid-market brands who have also outgrown these DIY tech platforms, they are looking for better technology capability, saying, look. If, and you know, the question is for your viewers as well, why is D2C so critical now? Because guess what? D2C is the platform where the brands have the highest profit margin. They have the most customer intimacy. They get the data access, which a marketplace or retail is not going to give them, right? And all of that can feed into their customer engagement, their product innovation. So for a brand, D2C is a very, very strategic channel, which they have not been able to grow for all these reasons, all these years. Huh. Mm -hmm. So, so let me ask you this, because as you're talking, you know, I, I could think that many of the capabilities that you're talking about, shoppable content, et cetera, are also applicable to a retailer, right? A retailer as a brand. Have yes. you gone after the retailer side of the market yet or had any conversations there? No, good question, uh, Gary. We have not. And there's a reason because see what we feel was uh, one, we're a very small company, uh, you know, very limited bandwidth, very limited resources to begin with. Right? So, so one thing we had to uh, decide very quickly was, do we want, want to spread ourselves very thin and try to be everything for everyone or just be still, stay laser focused? And what we felt was, uh, you know, see what we're building is we're not building a services company. We want to build a product company. And I think where the world ha has moved in the last five, seven years 
lot of the uh, you know companies or the clouds that started as a horizontal cloud they have no intentions to move to become more of a vertical centric cloud right so our thought was let's laser focus on one segment and do a great job yeah i mean to your point eventually and shekhar you said it earlier as well right every brand ultimately will be omnichannel there there won't be any digital native brands going forward right i mean all birds casper they yes grew on digital but ultimately they knew for them to next reach the next scale they have to be in a macy's they have to be in stores they have to have their own stores and malls and all that right and that's the ultimate goal and every brand will also have amazons and ebay's or mercado libre as their partners right depending on the region so that that's a truth but what we feel is d2c has been important to your point gary yes i mean for retailers especially with all their focus on private label they will yeah. also want they will also start seeing themselves as a brand as well and they may probably want some of these tools too at some point yeah. so i think yeah i, I think um, that way if i look at insurance i look at healthcare i mean we see a huge resurgence in healthcare industry where they are trying to consumerize the, uh, you know their capabilities and their offerings right we are seeing that in med devices we are seeing that in b2b as well so i think there is a wave going on we feel that our energy will be best focused on one segment yeah. you know uh, make it a good success and hopefully we'll expand from there no no i think it makes total sense i think everybody wants is craving for loyalty and engagement right everyone everybody winds up i guess you always look at the other person somebody who's a big brand like a unilever might look at a goop and say hey we need to build some kind of that kind of engagement with our and brand loyalty Absolutely. and it's really Absolutely. i think you know when you think about what you know nike has done or what apple has done in terms of the loyalty towards a brand price is almost not an objective Uh, anymore so nobody thinks about price when you buy an apple product anymore exactly. you kind of, kind of got used to it and our your elasticity is in the hundreds of dollars not uh, 50 cents you know what i mean and uh, but Absolutely. we still care about milk being 50 cents more expensive at one uh, supermarket <laughs> over the other right so it's so fascinating the psychology right. of loyalty uh, and and um, emotional engagement is truly bewildering which is why it's still being studied in universities after all these Absolutely. years right and i guess when brands look at a something like a, a goop or you know what kylie jenner may have had in terms of her skincare they're trying to capture that through either celebrity endorsements that they try to do you yeah. know many other ways but you're saying that they really need to go grassroots i mean the approach needs to be more grassroots redefine or even start a new brand with that in mind of growing that from you know the grassroots level in terms of engagement even though it's part of let's say unilever it launches a brand purely as an online um, brand to attempt to build that community because i i i completely agree and as we get into the whole field of um, you know more engagement whether it's apple glasses or whatever it is i think there's going to be more stories around products that are going to drive product purchase and i think you know whether it's a recipe that you know that some chef has come up with everybody's looking for content behind product and i think that's right. really what you're trying to get at is that you know these diy companies which start off with strong story need a better platform to kind of move to the next level on the commerce front yeah yeah and it's as much a a personality as it is a story right and yeah. and there's some you know not yeah. many but there are some examples of this in the cpg world you mentioned unilever you know think about ben and jerry's Right. now you know ben and jerry's was a separate company a small brand that developed almost a cult like following right but a very engaged community unilever bought them and to their credit basically kept hands off so ben and jerry's could right. continue to develop that community absolutely right. 
And I think they're, they're another good example, right? So, I mean, we saw kind snacks going into you know the Mars Strictly fold. Recently, Hero Cosmetics uh, got bought over by Church and White. So I think this is where a lot of these large, uh, you know, uh, CPG players or the, what we call the household brands are also looking at some of these new and up and coming stars in the D2C world, which started digital native. And like you said, Gary, right? I mean, uh, uh, let them stay independent, but under the fold of the larger, you know, right. corporate, um, you know, because I mean, that's how they grow their portfolio. So yes, it's a, it's a fascinating. So going back to your point, Shaker, end of the day, yes, it, it goes back to the story. And we, we firmly believe that, you know, see there are two very fundamental thoughts we have. One, we feel brands should not have a commerce side. They should actually have a content and engagement side, right? Because to your example, um, yeah. you know, you said Nike. I mean, Patagonia is another example that comes to my mind, right? They actually desell their products. They promote people to recycle and reuse rather than buy all the new jackets they're dropping, right? But people still buy. I, I wouldn't mind spending $150 when I know I can walk into a store and buy probably similar jacket for 50 bucks. But then, right. you know, it's almost like you take pride in spending more money with these brands because you feel now you're connected to a community and to a purpose, which is larger than the product. You're, you're absolutely right. We're seeing, I think in the last 10 years, you know, we've seen so many of these brands, whether it's Allbirds or Lululemon or, you know, brands that were, that came in and took market share from, you know, established, you know, clothing brands or shoe brands because of their story and their mission. And um, yeah, I, I can see that. So coming back to your technology, what, what, what do you offer a brand? I mean, when you say a tech stack, what does it consist of? Sure. So there, there are three parts to it. So one, see what we felt was, um, and before I actually get to that, I'll also talk about one more option that a lot of these brands have, right? So, you know, as they go from the DIY tech or from what, you know, industry loves to call the monolith stacks, right? To more of a composable headless ecosystem, we have seen over the years come, you know, a lot of options coming across, right? So there's a commerce tools fabric who have democratized the commerce stack, right? So they're saying like, you don't need to be one vendor. You can pick and choose the best of breed capabilities as APIs from me, right? We have seen a lot of CMS content management companies coming with the same headless approach, right? Shopify is, you know, turning headless as well because they've realized, you know, the, the wave and all that, right? So uh, what we now feel is, while brands now have a sudden a la carte menu of many options they can pick and choose from, they're actually further confused now. Because what happens is, because earlier you could, you could, you know, kind of keep your everything in a box with the sales force and hold them accountable and you have one single neck to choke. Now you, you don't even know how many necks you have to choke, right? Because now you suddenly are stitching together multiple solutions and plugins from a variety of partners. And guess what? If a transaction drops, who do you blame? Right, because there will be a lot of finger pointing going on as well, right? So I think clients, and that's why the system integrators are seeing, okay, you know, this is a great opportunity for to, for me to build another capability or a practice around composable commerce, and that's exactly what we see in NRF and other you know industry events where you know, people are saying, look, I'll help you adopt composable commerce, right? So yes, people will make money out of this, but we feel when it comes to brands, they need to first be able to understand this: what does a modern commerce stack mean for me? And and uh, and how can we do that for brands in a way that it's still a packaged full stack platform so that they don't have to worry about okay you know what what front end should I use what content management should I use right so we are trying to make it easy that if you are a apparel brand like you said Lululemon right we would have done enough work with them to understand that okay for your segment for your scale this is the kind of capability you need so we will help them pick and choose so we are not promoting or exclusive to one platform the back end we will consume APIs from multiple commerce system, multiple CMS systems, multiple community platforms. But for that one brand, we will help them decide what is that combination which makes sense for them. 
and we will empower that with us, right? So what so we bring is a composable services <laughs> industry or in a product. How do you? How do you... Uh, we, we are we are actually productizing that capability, which otherwise you have to depend on SIs or customization on, right? So that's okay. what we're doing. So okay. so what brands will get working with us is one, we are creating a complete uh, composable front end because you see what happens is you can go to a lot of these front end as a service companies, but they are also creating basically themes and templates. We, we hate the word templates. Right? We're saying again, you know, templates can force you to uh, a certain thing. We are actually telling the brand to look, you come to us and uh, you know, tell us what, Im what experience, imagine any experience that you think would make sense for your community. And then you tell us. And for each of these capabilities, like I said, shoppable content, we're building them as fully composable widgets. And when you go with the widgets or like a Lego block, block analogy, you can compose the experience that you want, which is not tied to one template or a theme, right? So that's got what it. we're doing. Got it. So, so by understanding this right, you, you've got a back box of Lego bricks, which are potentially other third-party technologies. And then you say, hey, what, what do you want us to build with this? And then you custom build some experience for them building these third-party APIs and to transform that into an experience for the brand. Yes. Am I right? Okay. okay. Correct. So it, it'll be the front-end experience, and then we're doing we've created a full orchestration platform, which is where a lot of these APIs will be consumed. Because I think that's where brands are getting challenged because that does not exist right now. So what happens is they have to build a lot of custom capability to manage all of those, you know, multiple integrations coming into the system, right? And plug into the CRM, ERP, order management, and all that. So we are simplifying simplifying that saying across all the three C's: content, community, and commerce. We have built a complete middleware layer, which will be plugged into the composable front end. And in the back end, we will do all the orchestrations with the business systems. Now, imagine running it down the line. If your business scales up, you know, you, you turn into a 50 to $100 million brand, you acquire companies, right? Suddenly, you may need a very different stack of products. So with something like this, you won't be locked in with one partner in a way. We'll be able to switch you back into, you know, maybe other capabilities, which I think would be more relevant for that scale of your business that you are, right? Whether you're going international, or you're going through MA or some other ways. Yeah. So you're kind of like the digital corkboard where I can stick anything and put it into any pattern I want. Kind of. Yeah. I see the, I'm, I'm just trying to help people who are on the other side understand, you know, sure. obviously we throw a lot of terms around and if they understand what's composable modules and if they understand headless Absolutely. commerce. But you know, I I I completely get where you're going. I think there's obviously a need. You guys have identified a need. So so what's your what's the response been? Obviously, you found a product market fit from sure. sure. So what we did, Shaker, was uh, in the last uh, one and a half years or two years of our existence, we actually did a you know a lot of the market study and analysis. We talked to over 100 brands because see, as a team, we very passionately feel that you have to first fall in love with the problem before you start to build solutions around it. So for the we actually just came out of stealth uh, two weeks back on 1st March is when we made our first official announcement on the platform. Um, you know, um, before then, it's been a lot of uh, POCs with brands. We've been working with a lot of partners, trying out the hypothesis over and over again, right? Because what we're doing actually, if you already see, is, is doing two things, right? It, the convenience that you that a brand gets from a packaged DIY product and the power they get from a custom technology, we are combining that for them. We are saying you don't have to do an either or option, right? Why can't you have the best of both worlds? So for that, we, you know, for us to prove that this is a big enough problem and a, a, valid, a valid problem, we had to work on both sides. So we actually engaged some companies and uh, brands where we did a complete custom build for them, just to understand what kind of capabilities and scale and value tags 
We did a lot of Shopify builds. We did a lot of uh, composable integrations as well. Once that was done, we looked at the results of all these engagements. And then this is where the hypothesis became proven that, you know what, this is actually very tough for many of the brands. They end up spending a lot of money. They are heavily dependent on tech talent. And we know, I mean, tech talent is very, very hard to get. Right. Irrespective of which part of the world you're in, and you need that constant, you know, it's not one and done. You, you know, I mean, Glossier is a great example if you see, right? I mean, Glossier, just like yeah. Goo, um, you know, built a great brand, but it was a fully custom stack and came a point where they could not afford to do that. They laid right. off the entire team and they have now gone Shopify, right? Because I think one policy in the brand world always has been, I think, uh, in our world, especially a very VC driven world, is Every company over the years has started to think of themselves more as a tech company, which happens to be in the business of beauty or cosmetics or something else, right? I, I personally think I think there is value to that thinking, but you know when you go in that 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 thought process, Don't take it you should far. not lose your purpose. Don't lose your purpose. Lose who yeah, you yeah. actually are at the end of the day, right? And I think in, in case of Glossy, you know, I personally feel it happened to be there where I think they they became too much of a tech company and forgot that they actually were a beauty company at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good point. I think it's all, this is all new stuff, Gary. I don't think we've ever discussed this really. Yeah, no, no, this is really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, and that's one of the things I think we're told we're somewhere in, you know, 90 plus, somewhere close to that episodes of Retail Perch. And I keep getting surprised that every week we come up with new topics that we've never discussed before. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this is fascinating. And obviously you guys are building something that's much needed in the industry. And you're getting some tremendous momentum. So I want to wish you guys all the very best. And Thank you so um, much. this is fascinating stuff. And I think for retailers out there, even though it doesn't directly apply, apply to them, I'm sure it does. A lot of brands who are listening into this will find this super interesting. How how would they connect with you, Chandan? If we have some brands. So we are, them? you know, we are. Uh, I'm based in uh, US. I'm very reachable on LinkedIn. Uh, our website is dotconnect.com. That's D-O-T-K-O-N-N-E-K-T. You know, so that's connected case. You can, you know, reach us on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm happy to share my email address, uh, you know, uh, with you guys. If you want to just post it on your podcast as well. But as a team, we're very reachable. You'll see us in all the major conferences. We're working with a lot of the tech partners that you must already be working with. So we are, we are here and open for business. Perfect. <clears throat> Well, thank you for being a guest on the Retail Perch. And since you're so close by, I might be able to hand deliver the Retail Perch mug to you. So <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> You'd be the first one to get a hand delivered mug. That's right. Um, that's right. Awesome. So, but anyway, Looking thank you forward. so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Gary, anything to close? Yeah, with? no, thanks for being with us. Super. Gary, nice to meet you. Shaker, thanks uh, for your guys' time and looking forward to see you both in person. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.